0: Good morning, ambassadors in stronghold. Uh, you guys look good, most of you. We're on week three of our study of Song of Songs. Um, turn, if you will, go, just go ahead and turn there. We're in chapter five, so if you wanna find that on your phone or in your Bible, I'm, I'll be in the NIV. Song of Songs, chapter five is where we'll be as you're getting there. Let me tell you a story. Most of you know I have three kids. Um, they're all grown now. But my daughters, Ann and Molly, as they were growing up, they shared a room their whole lives. Um, they didn't always love that, but that was just how it was. They shared a room, and they, for a while, they even had to share a bed. We had a big, full-size bed that they, that they shared. And um, one day, when Molly was about five or six, she came to me, and she's all serious, and she said, Mom, why do you have to share a bed with daddy, if you're a grown-up. Because in her mind, you know, she had to share because she was a kid, but I was an adult, I should get to do whatever I wanted, and she, why did I have to share? And I said, oh, I just like to share a bed with daddy. (laughs) And she said, well, it's kind of funny for a grown-up to have to share a bed. And when you think about it, you know, it is kind of funny for a grown-up to to share a bed. And it's it's kind of funny to have a whole book of the Bible about grown-ups who share a bed, right? Eight whole chapters. And it's really funny to spend five weeks at Ozark Christian College Chapel on this book about grown-ups who like to share a bed, right? But here we are. We're a Bible college, and Song of Songs is in the Bible, so whether you're married or about to get married or you're unmarried and you want to stay unmarried, we all still want to learn what Scripture has to say about marriage. We want you to be equipped, right, for marriage yourselves, or equipped to minister to the couples that are married that you'll serve. And mostly we all just want to have a deeper understanding of what Scripture says about who God is and His character as revealed as we encounter Him in His Word. So it is kind of funny. But let's read it anyway. Song of Songs, chapter 5. We'll start in verse 2. The wife says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Then he says, Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. She says, I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again, she's like, I'm all ready for bed. I've got my pajamas on. My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh. Myrrh was like an aphrodisiac. My fingers fl- with flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my cloak, those watchmen of the walls. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you. If you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. then our friends say, how is your beloved better than others, most beautiful of women? How is your beloved better than others that you so charge us? Verse 10, my beloved is radiant and ready, outstanding among 10,000. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with topaz. His body's like polished ivory decorated with lapis lazuli. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. This guy's jacked. His his appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He's altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. Chapter six, her friends say, where has your beloved gone, most beautiful of women? Which way did your beloved turn that we may look for him with you? She says, my beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to browse in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He browses among the lilies. Lots going on here. <laughs> this text, um, is this section of their love song is told from the woman's perspective, right? I, expect, I suspect that's why it was assigned to me, since I am in fact a woman. And If we wanted to break this text down into a definitive outline, I think we could divide it this way into four parts. The first part would be the dream. uh, Chapter five, verses two through seven, she has this sort of dreamlike experience. It's very similar to what she dreamed in, in chapter three. And second would be dialogue number one, verses eight and nine. She's talking to her friends, the daughters, the virgins. The third part would be her description, verses 10 through 16. Um, this is the longest section of the chapter. She describes her husband in detail. You remember last week, John, John Carer's passage, it was the husband describing the wife, and this one is the wife describing the husband, right? And the fourth section would be the second dialogue, dialogue number two, the beginning of chapter six. She's back talking with her friends again. So in this passage, the mood of the love song really changes. The husband and wife have been happily, lovingly admiring each other. They've been feeling close, but now things are getting more somber, even tense. Um, She's half asleep, she's in bed alone. He knocks at the door and wants to come in. She rejects him, hurts his feelings. He gets no response, so he walks away and she realizes he's gone and goes out looking for him, just like in chapter three, only when she searches for him, this time she can't find him. She calls him, he doesn't answer, she's left alone. So we have this mood swing, we've got both of them feeling misunderstood and rejected and unappreciated and there's this sense of longing and loss For both of them, attention in his absence and their separation. She regrets that she rejected him, and she wishes he wouldn't have left. And then starting in verse 10, as she misses him, as she longs for him, she she starts to think about what a good guy he is. She recalls what she likes about him, starts to describe him. It's the longest admiration song in the whole book that's by the woman. Um, She points out how strong he is, right? His arms are rods of gold, his legs are pillars of marble. She remembers his strength but she's still alone. The honeymoon is over and love, it seems, is a difficult thing. Now, every marriage has conflict, right? You know that, that's not a surprise to us. We surely don't go into marriage thinking it's all going to be perfect or easy. But Even if we anticipate conflict, I bet we're still surprised at what some of our conflicts are in marriage, right? Some of the silly and petty and annoying things that we fight over and even more we're surprised by the bigger conflicts in marriage, the the more serious things. Um, Love is a difficult thing, and it's because we're difficult people. Elizabeth Elliot said, when sinful people live in the same world, and especially when they work in the same office, and sleep in the same bed, they sin against each other. My marriage has conflict. Your marriage will have conflict. Uh, The marriages that you know, every single one of them will have conflict. And even in Song of Songs, our ideal couple, has conflict because love is a difficult thing. But love is also a song. Remember when Jason Posnick began our series and he said this book is called Song of Songs because it's the best song of all the songs, the best love song ever. And that got me to thinking, I wonder what I think the best love song ever is, right? I wonder what you'd say the best love song ever is. I would think maybe uh, Faithfully by Journey, 1983. That's a great song. I thought maybe, uh, I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston or Dolly Parton, actually. Whitney will always love you, right? You need to look that up on YouTube if you've never seen that video. That's a stellar video. Whitney will always love you. No, but this is the song. This is the best love song of all love songs. And Jason said that kind of phrasing is a Hebrew idiom, like king of kings, lord of lords, holy of holies, right? The song of songs. So our text is, is part of the best so- love song ever and it teaches us three lessons. First, lesson number one, love is a difficult thing so don't lose the song. Love is a difficult thing, so don't lose the song. Here's what I mean by that. Last semester I took piano lessons um, here at Ozark, just right downstairs here in the chapel. Every Monday morning I would go to piano lessons with Susan Lincoln and um, I would, uh, you need to know, I'm not any good. Uh, The guys in Strong who can hear me practice through the walls, they will tell you I am not good. But I would come every Monday and I would play for Susan And, you know, I I was intimidated to play for her, so I would play very carefully, and I played every song like this, very slowly, very careful to have my fingers on just the right keys. Took forever, and one day after a particularly painfully slow piece, Susan said very kindly, Amy, you are a perfectionist, and when you play so carefully, you lose the song. When you play so carefully, you lose the song. Susan, how wise is that, right? You lose the song. It wasn't so much that I was hitting the wrong notes, but I I lost the song. I lost the music. I wasn't being musical anymore. And this passage reminds us that when it comes to marriage, when we face the conflicts and difficulties, don't lose the song. Marriage is a song, the song of all songs. The husband and and wife in our text, they love each other. They want to be together. They're trying to pursue one another. He comes for her. She looks for him. They're trying their best but they're having some conflict because love is difficult and they're in danger of losing the song. Think of it like a movie. Um, you know that marriage isn't like, like you see in the movies, but think of it um, like a movie score. Marriage is more like a movie score. Um, the music that plays underneath the story in a movie, right? Your song of songs is like a score by John Williams or Rachel Portman, right? It's got highs and lows, crescendos, decrescendos, and Any good movie score has some scary parts, right? Some tense parts, some sad music. And always, always, your love song, your melody of your marriage will be the same refrain that repeats throughout, right? Andy and I have been married for for 25 years now. And our our, um, Song of Songs has had some really beautiful sections, right, when our kids were born, happy times, laughing together, serving together. It's had some really sad music, losing a baby, heartache and hurt in ministry. We've had angry music um, at each other (laughs) and at other people, right? We've had scary music when someone was sick, when we didn't know what was going to happen. But sometimes it has an upbeat, happy, quick tempo, but mostly it's just a daily melody, lovely refrain. Marriage scores have beautiful melodies, but they also have dissonant, ugly parts. Not because you're playing them wrong, but because that's just life. That's just how the song goes. Keep playing and don't lose the song. In our text, the music gets somber and sad as the couple separates from each other. It's maybe even a little scary as he leaves. The music gets scary. Her insecurities are in full force here. She says, my heart sank at his departure. I couldn't find him. Their love song gets sad here and a little tense. And in my marriage, when the music turns like this, when the music is sad or scary or difficult, there's something that Andy says, he says it a lot, and, and it, he says it during a conflict and it really helps. Husbands, you should take note of this. When we're having a difficulty, when there's, whether it's internal between just us or external, something else is happening, something from outside our marriage, um, Andy will say, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. The husband in chapter five left, didn't he? And you understand there's never been a threat or possibility that Andy would leave, but he'll just take a moment to remind me that he's not leaving. He's with me. I'm not going anywhere. Because he knows that's a fear of mine. He knows that when things are difficult, I sometimes wonder, will this be the last straw? Will, will this be when he says, oh, actually, that's too far. <laughs> You've crossed the line, right? You're, you're too much vows are off, I'm out, right? He knows that's an insecurity of mine, so in the middle of a conflict, he takes a moment to say, just a reminder, I meant my vows, I'm not going anywhere. And that's what the woman in the Song of Songs needed to hear when her husband left. And he's saying the song isn't over, love is a difficult thing, but we will not lose the song. Second lesson I think the Song of Songs passage teaches us here is that love is a difficult thing, so practice your part. Love is a difficult thing, so practice your part. I learned this in piano class, too, from Susan. When I would really struggle on a song, which was every song, um, Susan, Susan would say, this week I want you to practice one hand at a time. Hands alone, she called it. Okay. And she meant practice just the left hand part all by itself. Then practice the right hand part by itself. Don't put your hands together yet. Right. They're not ready. Let them learn their thing on their own, practice their part. And I had to learn to play one hand at a time. And then when my left hand figured out what it was doing and my right hand figured out what it was doing, then I could put my hands together to play the whole song. And my goodness, if that isn't a great lesson for relationships and for marriage, practice your part. Focus on playing your role. Andy can't play my part, right? I can't play his. We each have our own responsibilities and roles and gifts and hang-ups and shortcomings, right? And when we're each spiritually and emotionally healthy on our own, Um, when we're each growing in Christ-likeness and when we each practice our part by walking by the Spirit, then we can come together and play the song together. In our text, the husband and wife are not on the same page. They're each unhappy with the other one for not being there, for not doing their part. And in marriage, it's easy to focus on what the other person is doing wrong, right? But what if I worked hardest on me? What if I worried less about how I've been wronged and more about what I can do right to serve the other person, to pursue my spouse. So when I play the piano, my right hand can't just focus on how many notes my left hand got wrong. My right hand has to focus on what it plays. And when both hands play their part, the song gets better. So practice your part. Love is a difficult thing with all kinds of conflicts. Counselors say the five most common marital conflicts are communication failures, financial struggles, sexual difficulties, in-laws, and kids. I assume that's your own kids, not other people's kids. (laughs) Lots of everyday life stuff just coming at you, uh, making things difficult. And these are just normal conflicts, but imagine when there's outside stress, right? When there's extra things, something major like a trauma or an addiction or a diagnosis or a tragedy. How do you keep playing in spite of all of those difficulties? by the grace of God, um, we practice our part. When I'm growing and Andy's growing, when we're each abiding in Christ, when we're each bearing fruit, when we're each forgiving, we're practicing our parts and we can come together to play our song. Someone said conflict is inevitable, but resolution is not. Meaning conflict, difficulty, is just gonna come all by itself. But you have to intentionally pursue a resolution. You have to decide to forgive and respect and speak kindly. You have to set out to love each other well. You have to practice your part. And I think the wife in our text is practicing her part in verse 10. Remember that was what we called the description when she starts describing her husband? Even in their conflict, even when she's alone, she's scared, she starts reminding herself of all the things she likes about her husband. She speaks respectfully and admiringly of him. She does feel alone and afraid and even hurt but she focuses on what she can do by telling herself the truth about who He is. She says, He's not here right now, but He is so steadfast and strong, and I belong to Him. She practices her part. There's a third lesson our Song of Songs passage tells us, and it's the most important one of all. Number three, love is a difficult thing, so be loved. Love is a difficult thing, so be loved. Love can be scary with all its vulnerability, it's risky to love and be loved. Some of you know that risk too well, and the woman in our passage knows this fear too. She knows that love is a difficult thing because you could be left, you could get hurt. She goes on this heart-sick search looking for her husband and she says, I sought him, but I couldn't find him. And you can hear her longing, she longs to be known, she wants to be wanted. We all want the fulfillment that comes from being known. And sometimes we try to protect against the, re- the risk, the, the possible rejection. We just put up a wall and not be vulnerable. Anybody else do that besides me? And we think we can't get hurt if we don't love, if we aren't vulnerable. You can't hurt my heart if you can't get to it, right? Love is a difficult thing, we think, so guard against it. But no. To find fulfillment, to be who we're created to be in God's image, we have to love and be loved. Remember, the Song of Songs is written in the Old Testament Hebrew wisdom tradition, meaning it paints this ideal picture of how human love ought to operate. This is what love should look like, it says. In chapter 6, verse 3, says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. They are loving and being loved. That's how human love should be. And what does the New Testament say? It says that marriage itself is a picture of how God's love operates. So Song of Songs tells us what marital love looks like, and marriage tells us what God's love looks like. Paul says, Ephesians 5, wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives, the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. Paul says marriage is great, but he says your belovedness to your spouse, is just a picture of your belovedness to the Lord. The fulfillment you find in marriage is just a hint of the fulfillment that you'll find in the Lord. Paul even says, 1 Corinthians 7, that you might be wiser to stay unmarried in ministry so your attentions won't be divided. He says you don't have to get married to be fulfilled to serve God. Because the purpose of this Song of Songs marriage is is not just to point us to the first wedding in Genesis 1. More importantly, it's to point us to the Revelation wedding, right? The eternal union of God with humanity, when everything we search for will be found, and everything we've longed for will be fulfilled, and every loneliness will be answered in God's presence. The greatest love song, the truest song of songs, is not the love song in this book. It's the love song that God sings over you as his beloved. Zephaniah 3.17 talks about that love song. It says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. The Lord your God is with you, he's not going anywhere. The mighty warrior, strong and steadfast, there to save you, he delights in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, God rejoices over you, his beloved with singing. His song of songs is for you, his beloved. And when we come to be loved, when we hear the love song that God sings for us, we know how beloved we are. It changes everything. In his book, Life of the Beloved, Henry Nouwen says, being the beloved is the origin and fulfillment of the life of the Spirit. He says, becoming the beloved means letting the truth of our belovedness become enfleshed in everything we think, say, or do. God is singing over us his beloved. And knowing how loved we are changes everything. Love is a difficult thing, so be loved. I have a Spotify playlist that I listen to every day. Um, And at the end of December, my my kids showed me how to make one of those Spotify-wrapped things, you know, um, so I could see what I listened to, and it was crazy the number of hours that I had listened to Spotify last year because of this playlist that I made. I just play this on repeat over and over and over again. And the name of the playlist is called Beloved. It's actually Beloved in all caps with a heart emoji. It's kind of dramatic, right? And I've curated this playlist with, with love songs, songs that remind me of how much Jesus loves me, love songs between me and my savior. Songs like No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus by Stephanie Gretzinger, How You Love Me by Patrick Mayberry, Grace Upon Grace, Goodness of God. It's love songs between my Savior and me, songs that say, I am my beloved's and he's mine. And one of the songs on my beloved playlist is called Be Loved by Christy Knuckles. And it says this, have you ever let yourself be loved by the one who made you? Have you ever told your soul to believe that his heart is on your side? You could even try to run away, but there's nothing you can do. Just be loved. Beloved, he loves you. Have you ever let yourself be held by the one who holds this world? Have you ever told your soul to rejoice that his arms are open wide? You could even try to run away, but he'd come running after you. Just be held. Be held, he holds you. We didn't earn it, He just chose to give it. And it's in our resting that we rise up singing, you're loved, be loved, He loves you. One more story and then I'm done. Uh, When my daughter Anne was a little girl, We lived out in california and andy would take the kids on daddy-daughter dates he took nathan our son on on a boy trip but he took the girls on daddy-daughter dates and on one daddy-daughter date he took ann to starbucks bought her one of those big iced chocolate frappuccinos you know and while they were there they saw one of andy's friends he's a catholic priest at the church that was the catholic church that was right across from the starbucks Uh, his name was father mike Andy and and Father Mike didn't know each other from the church world where they both served. They knew each other from Starbucks. Um, And so Andy introduced them. He said, Father Mike, this is my daughter, Anne. Anne, this is my friend, Father Mike. And Father Mike knelt down right in front of my daughter, and he looked at her right in the eyes, and he said, good to meet you, Anne. He said, Anne, such a beautiful name for a beautiful girl. He said, Anne, do you know what your name means? And Anne got all shy. She said I I think it means graceful. He said, "Yes." He said, "And you are full of grace." And Andy told me that story later and I thought, "Oh, what? He told me how she just lit up with the praise. I thought what a beautiful way to bless a child, you know, telling them what their name means." And I got all excited about this, and I thought, you know, I, I'm going to do that for people. I'm going to buy a book of baby names and memorize what a whole bunch of them mean. And then I'll meet somebody, and I'll say, do you know what your name means? And they'll be like, oh, right, my wisdom. But if they have a — if their name means something dumb, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell them that. I would just let it go. But but I thought, I could, I could use this in a story, like I could teach this, I could write this, this is great, this is a great lesson to tell somebody the power of naming them, right? And in all of my excitement and how I was gonna use this, I just sensed the Holy Spirit, not, not an audible voice, but just in my spirit said, stop. Just, I don't often hear from the Lord, but when I do, He's saying, just stop. <laughs> and I stopped. And He said, what does your name mean? And without even thinking, I just said, beloved. That's Amy means beloved. And as soon as I said it, as soon as I said beloved, it just was overwhelmed. The love of God just rushed in. And I just overwhelmed, knocked flat by a sense of my belovedness to the Lord. And he said, yes, beautiful name for my beautiful girl, child, you are my beloved. And in that moment, the Lord was singing a love song over me song of songs and he's singing it over you he always does he never loses the song he sings his love over us and he calls us his beloved and he put that love into practice on the cross demonstrating the depths of his forever love the lord your god is with you he isn't going anywhere he is strong he's a mighty warrior who saves by his death and resurrection he delights in you and sings over you because you are his beloved and he is yours